0: Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Today we are discussing the film Your Name, period. That is the show, folks. We will catch you next time. No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. That is the title of the movie, Your Name, period. No, it is not about the uh, contemporary Christian worship song, Your Name, period. Completely different. This is a 2016 Japanese anime theatrical
1: film. Right, and it is also not "Call Me by Your Name." Uh, oh yes, very different, vastly different movies. That one came out yes. the last year, be uh, 2017, and had it hard Army Hammer and Timothy Charlemagne. Very different movie. That's live action. This is anime,
0: and they're not. This is not like a adaptation of each other. Uh, right, right. As, as far as I could see during the research, this is a completely original story right. by Makoto Shinkai.
1: Yes, that is exactly right. Uh, it, it's kind of funny, though, because there is a movie, there is a novel adaptation, and there is a manga, all of which came out around the same time, and all of which are not necessarily based on one or the other. They're all just kind of the same story, but just on a different format, I guess.
0: Hmm. I uh, – did Makoto Shinkai write the novel?
1: I think so. I think I think, I, so I think so he too. did. I think he did basically everything here. I mean, not, maybe not the artistry, but the story more or less is all him from all three formats as far as I'm aware. Hmm. Yep. That's,
0: that's really interesting. I don't know many uh, filmmakers who would put out other media. Right. Uh, you know that would pretty much accomplish the same task as the movie usually people are like oh we can adapt this into a movie or it really just works as a book but nobody that I know of is like I'm going to do manga novel film all at the same time right would write to them and do it that's really
1: unique and I mean. It is not necessarily a new thing for a manga to be to be made into a film or a or an anime TV series or a light novel being made into one of the same thing a novel a anime or a manga or things like that. It's not a new thing. Uh, however, you don't always see an adaptation of all three formats a light novel, a manga, and a film. All of not once again not based on each other. I know that. Uh, I think Death Note was based off of solely from the manga. And then you've got another, another one that came out. Actually, pretty recently, I reviewed called... Uh, crap, now it's... Violet Evergarden, that's it. I reviewed that one pretty recently, about a few months ago over the summer. Uh, that one was based completely off of a light novel. Uh, so you have different things here. That this is nothing new. Once again, anime is always kind of been based off of one adaptation or another. I think Akira is the same way. I think it was an, it was a it was an in a, it was a manga series that hadn't been completed yet. So nothing new here. But at the same time, yeah. you don't always see all three formats here being utilized at the exact same time.
0: Yeah, that that is kind of unique. That's definitely true. Anime, for those of you who don't know, most anime is always based off of a manga for the most part that's not always true but it's usually very likely ghost in the shell we reviewed that earlier this year that was also uh, that has a manga as well and this is kind of the second installment in our kind of mini anime review series you could say because last week we reviewed the 1988 theatrical akira which is an anime classic alongside Ghost in the Shell. Right. And this movie just came out two years ago at the time of recording. Your name has become, I, I'm going to even just not say a cult classic, I'm going to say a classic, judging by that quickly, judging by its score on IMDb and its place in the IMDb Top 250.
1: Right. And even more so, it is the number one grossing movie in Japan ever. Topping oh, yeah. Hayao Miyazaki's Spirited Away, which is a pretty mm-hmm. big deal. Uh, oh yeah, it just in general, I guess you could say because uh, it, because okay, Hayao Miyazaki of course has had his name just kind of engraved into the culture there because his films and his work in Studio Ghibli has kind of propelled. I wouldn't even say anime over to the west even more than it had, even more so uh, than Akira had. Because I think Studio Ghibli is one of oh, yeah. the biggest companies that came over to the United came over. That was, I guess, it had the ability to come over to the United States, or I guess towards the western Western side. And so to have another anime uh, come out that tops Hayao Miyazaki is a really big deal. Because once again, that's Hayao Miyazaki we're talking about. I mean, if, if you ask for really the any film person that is really big into film, they're most likely going to know who that is.
0: Yeah, Hayao Miyazaki has been compared to Walt Disney and Studio right. Ghibli as well as the eastern version of that because Disney put out <coughs> sorry <clears throat> because Disney put out all those animated movies and Hayao Miyazaki did that as well but you know in the eastern style in his own way. Right. So those that's kind of gives you, for those of you who don't know who Hayao Miyazaki is, that kind of will give you a little baseline for who he is. But as far as I know, Hayao Miyazaki is probably done with the movies from everything I've heard. So Makoto Shinkai is definitely somebody to watch because a few of his other films are pretty um, well-acclaimed, but mm-hmm. this one is obviously the most well-acclaimed. So clearly anything he does from now on is definitely something to look for.
1: Right. And it's... Now, actually, uh, I have since I went to since I went to Ghibli Fest, I did get to see. I guess you could consider it a sneak peek. But Hayao Miyazaki has been retired for a number of years now, but apparently he's coming back with a new film eventually. That's actually not animated, uh, like drawn animation, like uh, like he's done many times in the past. But now it's more of computer computer animated kind of a film now. So I can't remember what it's called right now, but that is his next project. Apparently, he's—I he's, don't know if he's coming back out for good or if he's just coming for this one film. But he is making a new film, eventually coming out sometime in the future, uh, that is going to be computer, completely computer animated, which is very different from, the, from very different from the other things that he's done, uh, which is. Basically, been all anime. It's all been cart—I uh, guess not cartoon—is a bad way of putting it, but it's all been hand-drawn animation, very traditional. So we'll see where that hap- We'll see where that goes. Uh, of course, only time will tell with that. But yes, Hayao Miyazaki, up until about around a year or so ago, has essentially been retired for about—I think a decade now. Uh, I think Ponyo was his very last uh, Studio Ghibli movie that he did.
0: I think Ponyo might have been also in conjunction with Disney somehow.
1: Well, yeah, Studio Ghibli for a number of years was uh they were tied with Disney. I think up until a couple of years ago they eventually broke ties. But yeah, for a while they were tied with Disney.
0: And this animation is not the animation we've been we've become used to. Um this is what I understand. It's still using some form of more modern cell animation,
1: right. I believe. Right, yeah, it absolutely is. And uh, we'll we'll, t- we'll definitely talk about the animation because there's a vast difference in style between uh, this one and Akira. And once again, we'll talk about that when we get into the review. Uh, but yes, though it is still cell animated to some certain extent, but at the same time, there's a heavy use of computer animated or computer graphics, uh, CGI. There's a good chunk of CGI being used here as well. Whereas in Akira, there was... Little to none in that movie. I think aside from uh, the two patterns that they talk about, that's really about all the animation they did aside from hand animation. This one is hev- heavily uses more CGI than that one ever did. Which, to be fair, is because yes. the technology has advanced since then.
0: That's true. Well, coming into this movie, I knew nothing about it. I saw its place on the IMDb 250, which I should mention, it is considered the 79th greatest film of all time, which is an extremely impressive achievement, especially for an anime. Well, not just an animated film, but an anime as well. That's quite an achievement for that. And I didn't know a thing about this movie. I hadn't seen any trailers. I hadn't heard any descriptions at all. Uh, the closest I got to knowing a bit about it was right before I clicked play. I saw, in my Plex server, uh, something about switching bodies, and I'm like, oh, "Okay, what? Are, getting a little uh, Freaky Friday, uh, going on here." And that's uh, about as much as I knew going in. But Alan, you said you had watched it once before.
1: Yeah, I did. Now I had. I remember hearing about this. I don't. I can't remember if I actually ended up watching uh, Chris Tuckman's review on it or not. I probably had at one point, but that was more, more or less how I heard about it was your name had gotten quite a bit of buzz since it was released in Japan. And then I think it even came out in an anime expo here in LA. Uh, And it got a lot of buzz because of that. It was apparently a big thing with audiences. And so since then, I've been just kind of curious about it. I've heard just really, really good things. I was all the way around about it. And then eventually, I did get to see it. My friend had picked it up. And so he invited me over to watch it. I think he had seen it once before before we watched it with me. And yeah, so this would be my second time returning to it, uh, just kind of in general, since I first watched it, I guess since it really came out. I think we watched it back in 2016, right when it was released. Mm. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. So anyways, yeah, this is not my first rodeo with this movie. This would be my second, third time since that I've seen it since it's been released back in 2016.
0: I will say that I'm surprised with how critically acclaimed this movie was. It didn't find its way to the Oscars somehow because I know Spirited Away did actually win the Oscar for best animated feature.
1: Right. And I know that this one... Did go for an Oscar, but didn't end up getting anything for, uh, from the Oscars. They got a lot of awards, but not anything from the Academy. Right. So, okay. Um. Well, let me start from the beginning here real quick, because it is interesting how this movie kind of came about, because it had several different names that it went through before it actually settled on your name. Uh, now, of course, we've mentioned before, Motoko Senkai is not necessarily a new face of anime, necessarily. He's done other anime like Children Who Chased the Lost... Children Who Chase Lost Voices, five, five centimeters per second, and The Last Promise... The last, the, the Plays Promised in Our Early Days with, with a bunch of different short films under his belt as well. And he even was quoted to have uh, brought on some inspiration from Interstellar and my One and a Half or One Half and Inside Marie, which is interesting to me, though, is that Interstellar was a big inspiration for Your Name. Uh, and once again... This title of your name has been kind of messed around with. It's been many, many different things. One of which was, uh, if I knew you, if I knew it was a dream, or a Yumi to Sirishaba, or your connection, Kimi no Musubi musu musu by me. I think it's supposed to be an N. Anyways, uh, you're half of this world, Kimi wa Kono senka- Sekai no Hanban, and of course your name, which is Kimi no Hawa, which is the one they ended up settling on. Um, and then, of course, we have numbers here. We have Spirited Away. Of course, it beat up Spirited Away. Just by a little bit of money, it wasn't by a huge amount. Uh, it ended up getting a total of over 300, $358 million worldwide, which, once again, for anime, is a really big deal. That's a lot of money. And even in its like origin uh, location, Japan, it made about 23 billion yen, or $190 million. Uh, no, sorry, that was in China. And it made, I think, about two hundred, roughly thirty-four hundred, $234 million in Japan alone, which is just slightly above uh, the Hayao Miyazaki's. And for a while, it was like number one for like nine weeks in a row. And then I new Death Note movie came out and beat it out for a couple weeks, but then it returned back to number one for another three. Uh, and then eventually it was, I think, it left theaters. And of course, at that point, most everybody had seen it who wanted to. So yeah, to say that this movie is uh, a big deal with audiences is, is kind of an understatement. Uh, the, once again, the fact that it beat out Hayao Miyazaki is a really big deal. And I know that earlier we mentioned that uh, the score on IMDb uh, makes it in the top 250, number, number 79. And in this case, it got an 8.4 out of uh, out of 10, which is, once again, a pretty big deal in uh, a very respectable score. I don't think I can... I've tried looking it up. Oh, here it is. Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes is a 97. I looked it up on CinemaScore and couldn't find one for it. So that's kind of some more background information for your name right before we get into it.
0: So clearly, any movie that has an 8.4, that's something to raise your eyebrows at because that's not many right. movies at all. I, I guess anything above that. There's only like, what, 79 movies on IMDb that have an 8.4
1: or above? Right. And one, yeah, once again, that's a really respectable score. And it really is not really going to leave that list anytime soon, I guess you could say. Oh, no, I I highly doubt that.
0: Well, Alan, right. uh, do you want to give them the plot? But before you do, listeners, we will be spoiling your name. So if you have not seen your name, and you don't want it spoiled for you, you want to go in spoiler free, just like I did, coming into this movie fresh, Alan it as well. Then go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and watch the movie. Come back and click play, and we'll be ready to talk about it.
1: Mitsuha doesn't like the life that she has, living in a small town. There's nothing, there's nowhere to go, no one to really to date. Uh, Mitsuha is kind of just stuck in this yearly family tradition, and no one really knows why it's being celebrated as the documents that kind of explained why were burnt many, many years ago. Now Mitsuha lives with her grandmother and her sister, and while her father and her father has left the family to become a politician, he ends up becoming mayor uh, here in the city. And, and their mother has died from a disease many, many years ago. Now Taki is a normal kid who, li- who was in high school living in Tokyo, and he has a regular job as a waiter and a father who really doesn't care too much about, really about anything. And their lives one day begin to change as they randomly switch bodies for really no reason at all. They begin to set ground rules for each other so that they don't ruin each other's lives, but not after Mitsuha sets up Taki with a date with Miss Okudera, the supervisor at Taki's job. The date, of course, doesn't really go well and causes Taki to make an attempt to call Mitsuha. However, right when this happens, a comet passes by Earth. The switching body, the switching beat suddenly stops and the phone call doesn't go through. Taki eventually decides to go searching for Mitsuha with... but has no luck, and Taki ends up giving up, deciding to head home, but a waiter in his small restaurant recognizes Taki's drawing of Ichimori, which is where Michuha was from, which he drew from memory. It turns out Ichimori, the town that Michuha lived in, was destroyed by the comet three years prior, and the nucleus had had unexpectedly split, and that came down and destroyed uh, what Ichimori was, and killed about 500 people there in the city. Taki begins to forget Mitsuha's name and wondering if it was even all a dream that he had had uh, to get him to this point. But Taki remembers the last time he and Mitsuha had switched and when they had visited the shrine of the Miyamizu family and drinks the sake that Mi- uh, Mitsuha had made during the ritual earlier. Now, sake is kind of like an alcohol made from chewing rice and putting it into a jar. and It's more or less kind of like a drink for the gods. Uh, it's the kind of the religion that they that Miyamizu family is more or less worshipping here. And it, once again, the uh, they don't really know why. It's something to do with some kind of thing that happened many, many years ago. Once again, the documents have all been burned since then. So Taki drinks the sake uh, that Mitsuha had made. And he wishes for time to be unraveled for a split second just so he could save Ichimori and save Mitsuha herself. His wish is granted, however, and with the foreknowledge of the comic, he convinces Mitsuha's friends, Teshi and Saya, to join her in an attempt to him or her, I guess you could say, in an attempt to save the town. While this is happening, Mitsuha wakes up in Taki's body at the hill that he fell asleep on. Both make it to the shrine's crater at the same time, but in different years. It is revealed that a day that it is revealed that a day before these events took place, Mitsuha made a surprise trip to Tokyo to hopefully t- find Taki. She did find him, but he did not remember her, leaving her leaving him with her name in her red ribbon before being pushed off the train. Time connects, however, and Mitsuha and Taki are able to see each other for the very first time in person. They are running out of, of however, they are running out of time, and Mitsuha, now back at her own body, returns to Ichimori to continue the plan with Taki that he that Taki had made. Taki suggests to write down each other's names so that they don't forget, but right before Mitsuha can write down hers, she disappears. The plan to save the town must continue, however, but comes to a halt when both Teshi and Saya are caught. Mitsuha goes to her father to hopefully talk some sense into him and hopefully to save the town. Taki wakes up on the hill again and heads home. Five years pass and Taki monologues about his persistent feeling of emptiness. He He can't seem to score many interviews where his friends have way too many to keep track of. He does, he's developed an interest in the Itumori accident, but does not know, necessarily know why. It turns out that there just so happened to be an evacuation drill planned for that day, and somehow almost all the residents were saved in, they, as they hid out in the high school. While on a train, presumably to another interview, Taki catches sight of a woman who looks suspiciously like Mitsuha. They both leave the trains and search for each other. They come across one another upon a staircase as Taki asks, Have we met before? With, my, with Mitsuha responding, I thought so too, as tears begin to fill her eyes. They say to each other, can I ask you your name? As the camera pans up to the sky, and the credits roll.
0: So as you can tell, it's a unique story. It sounds, it sounds dense, but I didn't find it to be like that dense. I found it to be fairly easy to follow.
1: Yeah, this is a relatively easy movie to follow, I would say for the most part. Uh... When, of course, we'll get to some of my criticisms about the story a little bit later on. But yeah, for the most part, it's a relatively easy story to follow, but at the same time, relatively unique. This idea that this that this boy and girl fall in love by a way of just switching bodies and switching lives is a very interesting idea to have.
0: Yes, that part is very interesting, and I did really like the twist that she is actually dead, that she died three years ago. Is it possible for them to reconcile with this? And I think the movie does a great job of constantly keeping you on edge of, are they going to figure this out? Or is this just going to have a sad ending? Is this just going to end badly? And the movie does a nice job, I would say, of progressing from kind of this almost Freaky Friday-esque, quirky, innocent beginning to a bit of a more serious second act once you get the twist and then uh i would say a really heavy third act of what all goes on and how it goes down and and how it resolves so this movie took me on an emotional roller coaster uh and at first i was like oh wow what you know okay this movie's okay and then i just got more and more invested in it and by the end i'm like oh man i'm like this movie better have a happy ending or i'm gonna be Upset because I'm I'm just this movie runs your emotions through the washing machine. Oh my goodness.
1: Right. And that's something that I did kind of enjoy about this was it starts off rather lighthearted, and nothing's really all that serious. I mean the opening is mysterious because you don't really know what these images you're seeing. Of course, you do come to find out later what they are. But yeah, it is quite an interesting way of seeing starting off rather lighthearted, rather be kind of funny, and then slowly kind of turn into this very emotional ending where it feels like it's going to end like four times and they're not going to get together. And then the very last moment, of course, they do end up uh, turning back to each other and saying, hey, I remember you. Uh, And of course, as far as we're aware, they do kind of have a happy ending.
0: Right. And this is one of those movies where, You need to go back probably and rewatch the beginning. It's one of those movies where the beginning is, yeah, there's a lot going on, a lot being said. It doesn't really make sense because you don't know these characters and their circumstances yet. But then once you see the movie and you go back, then it makes a bit more sense. Um, But regardless, I was still able to track with it just fine and then come back and be like, ah, okay, so I get where that opening was coming from.
1: Right. And even for me, I've watched this movie... For this review, I ended up watching about 2.7 times. I watched it once all the way through, then once up until about the last 35 minutes, and then the last time I watched it all just all the way through again. Uh, And even then, this would be my technically fourth, I guess, time starting this movie uh, for the review, it's still entertaining to watch, even even if I've seen it so many different times that I know exactly what happens at this point and what this means and things like that. Is not something that I felt that I was ever really bored in. It does a really good job at keeping you en- engrossed into the story, even after so many different watches of it.
0: So I was wondering if this would come up in your background. If possibly another movie that I was thinking of while watching this served as an inspiration to uh, the creator of this film. There is a movie called The Lake House with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. And that's actually based off of a South Korean 2000 film. And these plots are kind of similar a little bit because in The Lake House, it it's one of those things where it takes place a few years apart. And they don't switch bodies, but they communicate with each other through The Lake House somehow. And will they end up together because they're talking across time it's very similar to that, so I I guess he didn't mention the South Korean film or the, the remake as an inspiration.
1: Right. I know I've heard of that movie, but I know that I also haven't seen it. But I yeah, that is interesting. I wonder if that was also an inspiration uh for your for your name. It very well could have been for all we know, but I didn't find anything that said really that really mentioned anything about the hmm. Lake House. Okay.
0: Yeah. If if you yeah. do see it, listeners, if you've seen the Lake House and you think they're similar I think it'd be hard to not spot the similarities. Uh, They don't switch bodies or anything, but just the whole thing about talking across time and trying to find your love that way. Uh, It's very similar. The other anime that I drew a bit of a connection with is the anime Erased, where the adult goes back in time and he is an adult inhabiting his kid body and he has to save a girl from dying. So a little similar in that way as well. Um, Erased is fairly... Recent with with when it came out, but still very different. Those are just my connections that I was drawing with this movie.
1: Gotcha. And I also I I myself found it kind of interesting that apparently Interstellar was a, an inspiration for this. I do kind of see it. Uh, in Interstellar, one of the big messages there is love transcends time and space. Uh, this is kind of has a similar idea to it. Uh, there is a talk of time being kind of this thing that weaves in and out and connects and unravels all kinds of in all different places. Uh, and then, of course, you've got uh, Taki and Hag and their relationship kind of develops through this tangled time, more or less. Uh, so, yeah, I can kind of draw the inspiration from there. But for the most part, that's really about as far as it goes. Um so that was kind of where I was seeing when he said when it said, yeah, the inspiration from there was an inspiration from Ros Teller. That's kind of what I'm getting at. It's just this idea of a love transcending time and space and things like that.
0: What did you think of the opening song to the movie?
1: It's it's good. Um I think my I think uh part of my reason is I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of this style of music, more or less, and there are five songs in this movie that are more or less all tied to a montage however this is nothing new a lot of anime have this kind of opening even if it's a movie there's some kind of there's a lot of times this kind of an opening with a theme song playing overhead and just ran and like images from the movie or setting up characters things like that here this is once again nothing new but as the song i mean it's it's a good song but not necessarily my kind of style of music
0: it sounded like to me an alternative Christian rock worship song from the 90s. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> I could see I, that. I thought it was a little surprising because most anime TV shows kind of have long openings with long songs.
1: I, th- yeah, they're usually like a minute and a half, which is, from at least American's perspective, it's really long. It's like usually double the length of what we usually have.
0: Oh triple. yeah, yeah, because some openings to TV shows are like 30 seconds. <laughs> You
1: know? yeah or Breaking Bad where it's like yeah, maybe exactly. 10
0: so, so I was a little surprised they chose to kind of put this longer song here in the beginning with them it did feel very Japanese in anime that felt really familiar to me it just seemed it just seemed a little odd for a movie for a theatrical movie to do this but nevertheless right. through these credits we get foreshadowing which kind of helps us establish where this movie may be going now I'm still completely confused about this comet this you know meteor thing flying through the sky uh, but it's nice we do get their names right away here in the beginning which is good because i was like when we establish right. people's names right up right away and it's not like half an hour in and i'm like i don't even know anybody's name because nobody calls each other by their name i guess but one of the things right. that i'm struck by is how uh, beautiful this animation is and their subtle blend of 3d and 2d animation. And there's a lot of substance to it. It looks different from Acura mind you. And there's been a long time since then, like about 30 years, but uh, this animation still does look gorgeous. I think Acura's animation is a little better, but still gorgeous.
1: Yeah. I absolutely agree with you. I do think that Acura's looks better and I'll kind of explain it in a sec. Uh, And now, in my review for Violet Evergarden, I I even said there that that animation is quite gorgeous. And maybe for somebody who's new to anime, who hasn't really watched much of the old stuff, this won't bother them. But for somebody who has seen a lot of both sides of this and really does appreciate the older style, more hand-drawn animation versus the more CGI-heavy and really, in, in general... I doubt that hand animation is going to be used as much in this movie, even with the 2D images, than they would back in the past. Now, don't get me wrong, there are moments in this movie, and really all around it looks very, very pretty, and there are moments where, especially in a dream sequence that happens with Taki as he drinks the sake from, uh, as he drinks Mitsuhawa's sake, that's probably one of the best moments of this movie where it looks, I would even say the best part. This looks the most gorgeous. Although it does look very, 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 very good. Very, very pretty. I do think that that is also part of its downfall is that it just looks way too perfect. And to, this is also kind of what I, it's the same argument I had with Violet Evergarden. If you're new to anime and you're watching all the new stuff, it's not going to bother you as much. But at the same time, it is very refined i guess you could say which is once again a blessing and a curse for this movie i personally like the more gritty style of the of the older animation when it comes to like akira or cowboy bebop or things like that it just feels like there's a bit more a personal touch to it when it comes to that kind of animation whereas this kind of feels more like almost like a machine more or less to make it look beautiful not to say that it looks bad because it doesn't but from a personal standpoint, I would rather pick Akira style over this and I one. I can understand that, and
0: I do agree for the most part. Ghost in the Shell looks and Akira look better than this movie. There is something right, really unique and solid about that, and um, even like some of the older Disney movies as well are just extremely impressive how they were how they're animated. But I'm thankful that there is, I mean, some anime TV shows today. Or even within the past decade, I think they look bad. Um, they just don't look very sophisticated. They look cheap. And a lot of the like superhero DC, like comic book movies that are cartoons that come out now, now today, oh, they look horrible. I think those look really yeah. bad and fake. And like nobody's even trying to do anything. It, that looks really fake. So I don't think it looks like those. Um, thankfully it does still look really good and I will say some sequences look much better than others but overall I don't really have a complaint about it because it feels I guess updated with the times while still respecting the tradition of hand-drawn animation
1: Uh, yeah I I could definitely see what you're getting at with that I think this is my biggest issue once again it just kind of feels like Akira has a more personal touch to it it feels like the animator's really put heavy emphasis on background details when it comes to making things as gritty and as realistic as possible. Not to say that they don't do that here. They do, but in a very different way. It feels a bit more like a computer made it than uh, than a person who actually drew it made it. Once again, it still looks very, very good. But I guess just once again, from a personal standpoint, I would more gravitate towards Akira's more gritty, more... A lot more 2D style than this one. Once again, still looks great.
0: So here in the first act, we get, uh, I would say, a you know decent amount of exposition for what's to come in probably the third act more so because uh, I kind of had forgotten about some of this until uh, it really comes into play here towards the third act. For instance, we learn that a comet is coming and it only comes once every 1,200 years. And we get more explanation in the, you know, third act about, oh, okay, maybe uh Mitsu's family has had connections with this comet before. And then we also get this scene in school, which I thought was really weird, honestly, and kind of out of place. It felt a little too shoehorned in there, where the school teacher is explaining to them about Twilight, um, the border between worlds when something magical might happen. I think that should have came in when they went to the hidden shrine and then they afterwards they looked they they looked over their town during twilight the grandma could have explained that and she kind of already did so i'm thinking what class is this where they're learning about um magic magic hour and things like that maybe they learn about that in japan (laughs) i don't know but that just felt like a way for the writers to be like ah how do we explain magic hour or twilight um just have the teacher to in class
1: right i would say the reason for this scene i i although i do agree with you basically on everything you just said the reason for this scene is to set up it's kind of like a subtle foreshadowing element because uh when the teacher begins talking about this mitsuha is slipping through her notebook and she comes across this note who are you which we find out later taki wrote and she talks about, the teacher at this point is also talking about Twilight Hour. It's more or less a foreshadowing element that they are going to meet at this Twilight Hour, this magic hour kind of time when that when we get to that point. And once again, it's a very subtle element. But I do agree, uh, this is a rather odd place to have this conversation. And maybe it probably could have been saved for later when uh, when Taki goes up as Mitsuha during, to the shrine. And the grandma is explaining all of this. Uh, However, at the same time, that scene also has its fair share of exposition in and of itself uh, to begin with. So, yeah, I do kind of agree with you. It is rather odd to have this scene here, but I do think that the reason why it's there is for a foreshadowing moment. So at least there is a reason for it. But at the same time, yeah, I think you're right. There could have been refined maybe a bit more than what we got. Well,
0: something I do like about this opening act is it really does take its time to get us used to the town to uh, Mitsuha's thoughts about the people in the town her father's place he's the mayor but he's essentially abandoned them and we know she lives with her sister and her grandma and they're very traditional they do these traditions of making sake and she gets made fun of for it because her classmates are you know a little more new school apparently and so I think I really like that Uh, This takes a lot of time to get us used to the town. And also it does the same thing with Taki. And I think that's a credit to just most anime in general. I won't say all anime, but most anime does like to take its time by showing the landscape, um, the environment, getting you used to the setting and the feel. And I think this movie does a great job of bringing me into this town and getting me to really like these characters and feel for them
1: yeah and it is also kind of interesting too just kind of bringing up and how this movie is edited as well because in the opening you spend a lot of time with mitsuha uh, some time with taki but most of the time is spent with mitsuha I, I guess really up until about the midway point if i'm not mistaken and then once the comet more or less hits down on earth then it switches and then you spend a lot more time with taki and it kind of goes back and forth with taki and mitsuha a little bit there towards the end it's there, of course, there are parallels to this movie. Once about halfway through, they're focusing on two different on the two different characters in the story. So, yeah, you're definitely right. You do kind of get this sense, although though there is set up for both of them. You do get to spend a lot more time with Mitsuha and you get to see Itomori and how it's kind of just it's a really small town. There's nothing, right, nothing much left to do. And then, of course, you have a small, uh, small scene with Taki how he's kind of lives in Tokyo. And his dad doesn't really care, and he has to drive he has to ride the the train to the school, and and all this kind of stuff. He has a job, things like that. You do get a pretty good, some pretty good setup as to these the characters' personal lives and how they operate. But at the same time, though, you don't al- you don't get that right off the bat because first, the first thing we get with these two characters is that they have already switched bodies in the very opening, and then when once a certain teen hits, they switch back to their normal bodies. We find out that something happened. To them the day before uh, this event took place, the day before this scene that we're seeing now is taking place. So you kind of get this interesting dialogue of how life usually is for them, but at the same time, how very different it was when they switched bodies and the other person was taking over and they had no idea what they were doing, and how that kind of ruined things as well.
0: And I gotta admit, I was just as confused as them, despite getting that little glimpse in the plot summary right before I clicked play. I didn't know really the movie was going to go this route, and I, of course, didn't really know who these characters were. And then when they're like, wait, what am I doing in this body? And how they're acting and how their friends are acting, I think their confusion is real. It relates really well onto the screen because I, as the audience member, am confused too. Not to the point that I don't get what's going on per se in the plot. But I'm tracking with them, and I'm just discovering what's going on. It unfolds as it unfolds for them as well.
1: Right, right. I I totally understand that. And uh, moving on from this, even, we kind of get this interesting scene. Uh, I get really this interesting montage of them switching back and forth between bodies and trying to figure out how to operate and how – and they're setting ground rules for each other. I think this is very, very interesting how – they come to find out that they're switching bodies randomly three or four times a week, or they say, triggered by sleep. That's really all that they know, though. And so they end up having to set ground rules for each other and say, you can and can't do this. Make sure you keep your legs crossed, not as open as possible because guys will yeah. stare. Or you can't do this with Miss Okudera because you're going to ruin my relationships and things like that. It's very, very interesting how they both, especially from Ichoha's perspective, Taki's living the life that she wanted. And at one point in the movie, she says, just make me... (laughs) It's kind of funny, because she says, of course, it's very ironic, make me a handsome Tokyo boy my next life. And, of course, she switches with Taki, which is exactly the life that she wanted. And so she's kind of doing the things that she wants to do. She goes to cafes all the time, which causes Taki to have to work more because she's spending all of his money. But at the same time, uh, when Taki's in Mitsuha's body, she's she, he's also causing a bit more fights, I guess you could say, a bit more skirmishes. And at one point, a guy gives Mitsuha, Taki, who's in Mitsuha's body, a letter confessing her his love to some girl. It's very interesting how they're kind of living their own lives uh, the way that they want in each other's bodies, but then having to, re- the brother person having to reap the other consequences and say, you just can't do that.
0: Yeah, and I think it's fairly lighthearted here in the beginning and pretty comical with a lot of scenes about how the fellow waiters at the restaurant, which I really do like that initial restaurant scene where Taki with and Taki's body and she's so confused and the beginning of the day, she's like, Wow, well, this is a nice dream. You know, I get to eat all this food and it's fun. And then I, then it's a nightmare with this restaurant. And it's pretty, pretty well edited and it's pretty funny as well. And, uh, right. they thought he was, fl- he was flirting with, um, the other, with the other waitress. And then they confront him and they're like, What about the bro code? Uh, that yep. was hilarious. And, um, yeah, those those opening scenes were pretty funny. Uh, there's, you know, not really any humor there towards the end, but this opening, like I said, is pretty lighthearted because, you know, they're teenagers, and I think that that kind of humor works pretty well. I was confused. So boys and girls are confessing their love to Mitsua.
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting line. I wonder if it has something to do with the dub. Uh, but yes... Apparently, Mitsuha is getting both letters. I think, from what I was understanding, it doesn't really explain very well. But a boy gives Mitsuha a letter to give to another girl uh, that he liked, more or less. And then the girl confronts Mitsuha, who's, once again, Taki did this, uh, and talks to her about it. I think that's what happened. In In reality, it really doesn't matter because this doesn't come back into the story anywhere else except for this one scene. But if I'm correct, that is what happens. Yeah, I
0: I think so. Because we see a girl giving Mitsuha like a love letter. And I guess right. I was just confused because that scene happened really quickly. And something important that that we should note is here in the beginning, it says they switch bodies two to three times a week. But after they after they switch and they're back in their own body, their memories just like start to fade. They say it's really hard to remember what happened. And... I had forgotten that by the time I got to the third act because they're like, wait, I'm, I'm forgetting all this and that. And I'm like, really? Really? You are? And then, yeah, I come to find out that the memories fade all along. And so I'm starting to think that the comet, the approaching comet, has something to do with them switching bodies. And it kind of does, but not completely, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, there, at least in this opening, there's not a really good explanation as to why they're forgetting. Uh, My guess is probably just the fact that it's more or less a dream to them. And we tend to forget dreams rather easily if we're not careful. So I think that's kind of what the director is going for is that it's to them, it's just a dream. And we find out later uh, that this kind of dream has is nothing new to the uh, Miyamizu family. The grandma had it, the mom had it, the ancestors before them all had it to some extent. So, yeah, my guess is it just is kind of taking on this form of a dream. And if you're not careful, then you're just you're end up forgetting most or all of it uh, by the end or when you wake up.
0: Yeah, and so they begin to write each other notes in their journals, on their phones, and on their hands and everything. Uh, this is very reminiscent of a, okay, now hear me out. It's a Hallmark movie, but it doesn't feel like one. It uh, has, um, oh, I can't remember their names right now. It's the guy who's playing Shazam in the new DC movie. So okay. clearly he's been doing, done a lot of famous stuff. And Alexis Bladell from Gilmore Girls and now The Handmaid's Tale every, and a few other things. It's called Remember Sunday. Where he essentially has amnesia and he has to he falls in love with this girl, but he forgets her every single day. Some kind of short term memory, so he has to write down everything about her and kind of like conceals that from her, but something goes awry. I won't spoil it. It's actually a pretty solid movie. Um, but nevertheless, that is that did remind me of this type of story where they the one character he keeps forgetting about the other and they have to write things down and try to remember each other. But um, and that is an interesting conflict, I think, for these two characters to have is they don't understand what's going on and they struggle to remember each other. And at first, it's messing with each other's lives to the point of I wish they would just kind of butt out of everything because you're messing it all up and you're really not doing doing me any right. good.
1: Right. And we do come to find out more of Taki's side of this whole thing that's happening when he goes on the date with Ms. Okudera. Uh, and come to find out... Well, I mean, I'll talk about her character in a second, but it's kind of insinuated heavily that he likes Mitsuha. She says, there's somebody else that you like isn't there, and he kind of goes, what? No, and kind of just tries to brush it off. But, I mean, it's pretty clear that there is somebody else, which, as far as we're aware, the only person in the story that he could have liked is Mitsuha, which, I mean, makes sense. And it's a bit more, a bit more confusing, and maybe that's just because I'm a male... Uh, When it comes to Mitsuha's side of the story, it's clear that she, as far as I'm aware, she likes him um, as she plans a date that she would like to go on. And then due to that, her kind of, I guess, jealousy, she cries over it. So you get the sense here around the time of the date with Ms. Okudera that uh, they're kind of beginning to like each other to some extent. And of course, this is no more than uh, affirmed when... uh, Taki decides to go look for her, but later on, after the after I guess after the uh, the comet strikes Ichimori, so this is interesting that their relationship. This is one that kind of like the biggest idea of the whole plot comes together here, or it begins to show itself. They begin to fall in love because they switch bodies and they experiences they experience that person's life in that person's body, but in their own mind, more or less. It's very interesting that they that the director chose to do this. And you kind of get this sense this thing is developing here. They're beginning to like each other. Of course, we've had it set up all up until this point. And we're at, about, at this point, we're at about the 40-minute mark or so.
0: Ultimately, what we're led to conclude, at least is what I concluded, is that they are the definition of soulmates. And, that, and I'll get into my thoughts on that there at the very end. But they were meant to be together. This was always something that was meant to happen. And, I mean, I, I guess the movie brings in, like, a Eastern tradition of... It talks about the Musugi, the god of union. The cords represent the unity of the universe. People are tied together. Everything is tied together. So that's a very Eastern thought of kind of this monism. Everything is one. And that is... That's how they're tied together. Um, this kind of cord is the... Um, kind of literal representation of them coming together and i think that chord is brought throughout the movie and it comes into play in in good ways so i i think that works
1: Right, right. Yeah, this this cord is, by no mistake, is meant to represent the time itself, how it kind of interweaves and attaches itself to Taki's arm. Uh, and then, of course, you see it many, many, many other times. Part of it is due to Mitsuha tying it her hair into a bun, or I guess not necessarily a bun, but whatever it's called. Uh, then, of course, she gives it to him when she goes to Tokyo. Uh, Yeah, by no and then of course you've also got the ribbon, also same color, tied around the sake in the shrine. By no means is the by many means I guess you could say this is meant to be a display of that this time that is kind of always messing around and causing knots and raveling itself into itself and all kinds of stuff like that and if then again and then of course it was also uh meant to show the tie between mitsuha and taki due to this strand this i guess you could say ribbon more or less that is mitsuha's i found
0: the best representation of that in the movie is when he drinks the sake and kind of has this flash of Mitsuha's life and we see at her birth and uh, we see the cord kind of like flying from his hand and then uh, the umbilical cord is cut from Mitsua and her mother and right. I thought oh wow that's a really great connection of the ties of people and time and humanity so that was probably my favorite representation of how the cord was the ribbon was used in this movie and like you said so at about this point we are around the 40 minute mark and um, Taki's long date is coming to an end. And despite him, she's like, Do you want to go get dinner? I'm like, you, You've had like every meal of the day. Goodness, you got to close it down sometime. And clearly, he's preoccupied and he's looking up at the comet in the sky. And we get a gorgeous shot of a plane flying in the twilight. I loved that shot and that scene. And then he tries to give her a call, but her number is uh, out of order. And this is right before Mitsuha chops chops off her hair. And um, the comet has this amazing flash. And then I'm like, okay, I hope this movie doesn't have a sad ending. I just have a bad feeling about where this is going because he's like, I can't get a hold of her. The comet's kind of weird. It's very foreboding. Gives me some melancholia vibes there. Uh, You know, with the planet crashing into the earth. And yeah, yeah. But, okay, so I will say I'm glad we are starting to pick things up a little bit here, because 40 minutes in, I feel like it's been a lot longer than that, and um, I'm needing something a little meatier to chew on, and we do
1: get into that, thankfully. Right, and at the same time, too... Crap, what was I going to say? I think... My one of my issues begins to show itself around this point. There has been a lot of stuff that we've gone through in this forty minutes. A lot of stuff. One of them was a montage as well, where you're, where you're seeing them kind of construct their lives and with the other person saying, of course, doing the dos and don'ts and the list and stuff like that. And she. And Mitsuha develops a relationship for Taki with Misokudera, and they go on this date and on that date after their date is done she he would be able to see the comic but of course he doesn't see the comic because this is three years into the future when the comic actually hit down. In my mind I think that this is too much. Too much in terms of story beats that we're hitting that in reality don't really serve a very much purpose in the overall story of things yes, it is all build-up, but that's just kind of my issue. It's all build-up. It all serves, not necessarily to, not necessarily one thing serves to uh, something in the very end, but one thing serves to propose it just one more step, and then one more step again, and keeps going and going and going. Uh, I think Mrs. Okudera is kind of one of these things where the date they have really doesn't mean much aside from the fact that she decides to go with them because they are friends now, but later, it just kind of feels like and this does kind of get worse as the movie goes along from this point. There is a lot of stuff, a bit too much stuff to keep track of because, especially on a first viewing. Uh, maybe in a second one, it's hard to tell which is going to come back later and which is not going to come back later. And most of it doesn't. It really just kind of rides on, okay, you get the basic idea and let's keep going.
0: Yeah, I guess I didn't really think of it that way, but I do agree with you because like I put in my notes, we're half an hour in and um, I was feeling kind of the same way with you as well. You're trying to discern what should we keep track of because Uh, particularly at the beginning there are some things that do come back like the very beginning that do come back with them like like uh talking my name's mitsu i don't even remember my name that comes back but yeah i agree that the date is too long and i feel like here in probably the first act leading into the second it's a bit too meandering and it feels really long um despite not being that long this movie's only an hour and 46 minutes without credits but it feels at least two hours.
1: Yeah, it absolutely does. And maybe that's just due to the fact that there are just so many different things we have to go through. Now, to be fair, at this point, around 40 minutes, my criticism of it's too much really isn't that big of a deal, but it is something that I do want to bring up. However, from this point forward, this criticism of this is too much is something that does become a more major criticism of the story. And I'll kind of explain that a bit later as we get into it as well.
0: Well, and then Taki and his friend and Okidera, they go along with him to try and find Mitsu in person to make sure he's not being catfished. That was pretty comical, I thought. And a, another comical line where they're like, where are we? You're a terrible tour guide because I'm not one. That was uh, so I do right. like some of that lightheartedness sprinkled throughout here. And I'm, I'm OK with this montage scene of them wandering around, although this is. You know, a fairly long sequence, especially once they do get to the restaurant and they finally figure out the village's uh, Itamora. And at this point, once we find out Itamora has been destroyed three years ago by the comet, I'm interested, but I'm also really, really sad.
1: Yeah, and I think my biggest issue with this scene is that it's just kind of by chance that they come across this waiter who used to live in Itamori and just so happens to see the drawing that Taki had drone out. Uh, this is kind of a minor complaint, but it is one that I do want to bring up. And this is something that also kind of begins to play into the movie a lot more is just sheer convenience, or I guess sheer coincidence that things just happen. This is one of the probably the bigger ideas of this uh, little thing is that the waiter in this small restaurant just happens to know this place that uh, Taki had drawn up, which is Ichimori before the comet hit the city. Now, once again, this is a rather minor complaint, but this is something that does happen more than once in the story. I didn't
0: really have an issue with that because to me, it seems like these characters have given up all hope. And then I think this kind of goes along with the kind of theme of the movie or possibly worldview of the universe will bring them together somehow. Um, because later on, we're thinking, how in the world are they ever going to find each other within Tokyo or within X, Y, or Z? And they do. Because they were essentially right. destined to be together because of... I don't know. Read into it what you will. The movie explicitly states the Musagi god of unity uh, binds people together. And clearly these two are bound together I, I can understand why because it seems like really hopeless and then all of a sudden it's like oh hey um the plot needs to move along so they happen to find the people they need to and it works out i, I mean i'm a little surprised that nobody nobody knew of this town previously since apparently it was so famous in japan for the town that was being destroyed and nobody's ever heard of it or right. even seen it uh, except for these you know diner people that own these diners so i mean i can understand what you're saying
1: Right. And that's kind of where my biggest thing comes from is that I talk to so many people. And even the friend, I think his name is Tasuga, knows Ichimori once the waiter, uh, I guess I guess it's the husband. I, I think he might be a cook. But either way, the the, the guy mentions, oh, that's Ichimori. I, I know exactly where that town is at. Or I lived there or whatever he says. And then immediately Tasuga goes, oh, I know exactly what this is. And it's just kind of like, once again, just kind of convenience. Now, yes, the argument could be made that it's just kind of due to the fact of uh, Masagi, the god who kind of binds people together. But I guess just from a storytelling perspective is where I have the biggest issue is just sheer coincidence that this guy in this random restaurant in the middle of nowhere just happens to know where this thing is at, that that our main character is looking for after all hope is lost. Maybe it would have been a bit more realistic how they found this out by just talking to somebody on the street. Because yeah, you do make a, you do bring up the point that I'm the point that maybe I was trying to make earlier is that you would assume that somebody would know what this place is, being that it happened rather recently. It's only been three years since the comet destroyed Ichimori. But what do I know? I guess the I guess it makes a little bit of sense that yes, the uh, the god of Uh, unity misagi is bringing in the uh, waiters and stuff to help them out but yeah yeah, just from my storytelling perspective it just kind of feels like it's just trying to find a way to propel it instead of making it a bit more organic i guess have
0: we seen taki wear those unity cords throughout this whole movie because they explicitly call our attention to it but i never noticed them until now
1: yeah, he does. Um, yes, he does wear it throughout the whole movie, but it is kind of hidden for the most part up until about, about the scene when they bring it into existence, I guess. Or they, they really mention it. Uh, he does wear it, but it's kind of just hard to tell that he is. Okay.
0: And he doesn't remember how he got them, but he eventually does remember because he goes to the family shrine because he has memories, uh, Mitsu's memories of the shrine. He's like somehow directed towards there. Okay. And he drinks the sake. And okay, I better bring it up now before I forget. So when they are on the Twilight Mountain, essentially speaking, and he says, I drank your sake. And that's how I came back. And then she says, oh, you pervert. You're the one, you know, touching me that whole time. That just I didn't I I didn't track with that at all.
1: Okay. Yes. So I did do a little bit of research on this. Uh, okay, so in Japan, more or less, when you drink from the same cup, it's kind of meant to signify more of an indirect mm. kiss, okay. more or less. So that's kind of the same idea here. It's her saliva that's in her saliva mixed with the rice and now it's been fermented into this alcohol. It's more or less an indirect kiss from her perspective, Uh That's why she was kind of saying, oh, you pervert, Ah, more or less. Gotcha. That really helps me out because I was lost. Yeah. I was a bit lost too and never didn't really unnecessarily understand it, Uh, but I found some article that explained it. It was from actually the New Yorker that I found.
0: Well, I'm glad you looked that up and figured that out for us because I'm not not, uh, accustomed with that type of tradition right um okay so maybe we can talk about just real quick how he does get the cord because that was another point of confusion for me because she says i'm going to tokyo uh, for the day for a few hours i'm led to believe that she's going on the day that she set up taki and his date with miss okidera I thought that's, I mean, that's what it seemed to be implying. And she's like, what if I show up and he doesn't like me, but I guess I'm wrong. But then she shows up and he doesn't know her. And are we, it sounds like she says, I went and saw him before we had even switched bodies.
1: Right. So, okay. The date with Miss Okudera happens on the day of uh, the comet, right? Right. So she says you would be able to see the comet by now. So it's meant to signify that the day of the comet that that when it splits and the nucleus comes down and destroys e. Dimori, that's the day of the date that he that she has set up for him. So she went two days before that happened because no, wait, well it couldn't be that way. Sorry, just the day before that happened. But the yeah. date happened. She goes the day before. Didn't the date th-
0: happened three years into the future after she was dead?
1: Yes. It happened three years... Yeah, so the, the comet that came down happened three years in the past for Taki. Uh, the way around for her. So he wouldn't have been able to see the comet at all because the comet had three years been past that point. The The point is, had they been in the same time, he would have been able to see it at that time when the date was over. Uh, but, but So Miss Mitsuha went to Tokyo to try and find him a couple days... I think it's either a day or a couple of days... Before the comet right. came and crashed down, um, trying to visit him. And that's where she comes across him. Now, at this point, uh, it was three years in the past for both of them. Well, no, it was three years in the past for Taki. So he had not really been introduced to Mitsuha quite yet at this point. No dreams have been happening with her or with him, but with her they have. So when she goes up to him, he's just confused and does not know who she is because things between them haven't happened for him yet in this timeline okay
0: that makes sense that is like mind bending though i get it now okay i get it because yeah she was experienced it three years prior to when he experienced it but it's it's like they're experiencing it simultaneously yet they weren't so yes he had not switched yet but she had switched with him but his future self was switched okay got it yeah that is pretty dense but i got it
1: (laughs) yeah and that's kind of one of my other issues with this too i feel like this is just unneededly confusing at times this is one of these scenes where i mean i after watching a number of times i begin to pick up as to what it's trying to do but it's just why though it makes me ask why do we need to go to such great lengths to make this this way instead of making it maybe a bit more simpler and making that simpleness of the story have a bigger impact.
0: Oh, I can completely understand that. Yeah. And I will say I, I mostly felt that way towards the end where it felt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Especially here towards the end, it really begins to it's get really extremely confusing. extremely
0: labored to get to the point we really just all want to get to. And instead of... Yep. Okay, there, there comes a certain point where my kind of anticipation, my eagerness, my almost anxiety with how things will turn out is, is just disrupted. I just become a bit frustrated with how much they're dragging certain things out to the point where it's like, okay, you're getting close to losing me if we can't just figure out the story because it just goes to such great lengths, uh, especially towards the – I'm talking about the very end where they're adults – i know we're not there yet but we're they're adults right. and he has to find he he runs into uh, her two friends from the town and then he at least runs into her a few different times and he won't listen to her and he talks about his job and then he meets with miss ogidera again she's like i hope you find love i have a baby so i must have found love and at that point i was like okay <laughs> just stop stop uh, yanking me along here just give me my emotions a rest
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. And I would even say that this idea of Mitsuha going to Tokyo and giving him the ribbon that he comes to find out was hers all along, this is something that comes really out of nowhere uh, for the story. It is insinuated very, very briefly at the very opening, and maybe once or twice, but there's no real good connection to make aside from Taki, Taki, do you remember me? that line there isn't really anything else that really helps us trek and understand why or when she goes or really sets up the fact that she does even go to Tokyo up until the time when Taki goes through the flashback of Pizuha's life and finds out that she did go to Tokyo that's really the only time the first time we find out that she actually ever does that it just kind of feels like maybe we're just making things up as we go along almost but it also is clearly thought through because the ribbon shows up on Taki's hand throughout the entirety of the movie, but at the same time, this isn't even brought up that, she go, that Misa goes to Tokyo until very late into the movie to the point where this should have been something that came up much, much earlier. Oh yeah,
0: I completely agree with that. They definitely could have uh, probably tightened up the pacing or just even some of those plot elements for us to get to those story beats a little bit quicker instead of spending so much time on Taki going out right. with Dare and flirting with her, and then switching bodies and just kind of hanging out with friends. I'm not trying to contradict myself because, I mean, I do like a bit of that, like, let's live in this world and, like, get to know these characters and their, you know, lifestyle and whatever. But, yeah, some of the stuff because the beginning and end feel very different uh, to me as far right. as just themes or how the movie feels in general i guess the tone i guess might make sense um i understand the tone kind of evolves but yeah i i definitely see what you're saying especially once they go back especially once taki goes back and he is Mitsua and they concoct this elaborate plan to set off a bomb and trigger the emergency broadcast signal and then they learn itamore lake is a crater that happened 1200 years ago and the grandma says she went through the same thing as Mitsua and her mother also. And they're like, Oh, maybe that's like the, um, the, the Mitsua family, you know, that must be a, uh, something that has to do with their past. And it's been warning them about the comet this whole time. That didn't make any sense to me it's because it's never brought up again and it doesn't play into the story at all.
1: Right. And I definitely understand that. And that's kind of where I think my, I guess my biggest problem comes from. It feels like, there is just way too much going into this to have Mitsuha and Taki fall in love, essentially. It just kind of feels like, okay, we have to have this giant comet come down that almost destroys the town of Itumori. But it's Taki who switches bodies with Mitsuha that sets up this plan. But then Mitsuha switches back and is able to complete the plan by, prov- by approaching her father and finishing that arc that I guess they had in the opening to save the town by a split chance, you know that he that he actually listened to her. but at the same time the the whole purpose is for them to fall in love. And the whole reason and the whole lineage is led up to this one point for these two characters to fall in love. And after watching the first time or actually after watching it, I guess the the last time I was like, this just feels like they're way overdoing it. It almost feels just silly, to be honest with you, because there's just so much going into this one small thing that it honestly, I feel like it loses its impact on me because there is so much that they have to do to get to this point when in reality, if they wanted to make the story maybe even more personal, they could have taken out a lot of this stuff and made it really, really personal by just focusing solely on these two persons' lives and making that have a bigger impact. Instead, we had to bring in the comet and how time interweaves and all kinds of stuff and unravels. This is just, like I said before,
0: unneededly confusing. Yeah, and I guess the other thing that kind of was uh, getting a bit frustrating here at the end was how one problem or one disaster would compound upon the other, as if we weren't already in the midst of a dire situation. We take that break for them to be in the magic hour, the twilight hour. To talk to each other and then she's about to write her name on his hand but then she disappears which i thought was shot really well like edited really well and um yeah it's really sad but it's like one problem after another and it's almost getting to be too much and then like you said it gets confusing where they switch back and forth between each other's bodies i don't know like three or four different times yet they still know how to complete the plan Despite them, that wasn't them who started the plan. Yeah, and and I know, listeners, this probably sounds confusing with us talking about it, especially if you haven't seen this movie. I'm sure we're, uh, we're doing our right. best to make sense of it. And, but yeah, I would just say the end gets really thick and heavy and compounds one problem after another. I will say that when they're talking on the mountain, um, I found that to be a pretty touching moment. Um, there is some humor in it. Once again, they yank the rug out from under us and make it really sad. And they're like, "I don't remember her. I don't remember them at all." And um, almost a, a bit of that gets to be almost a little too much after a while.
1: Yeah, and now to be fair, from my own perspective, there are there is still good oh, stuff here. And I said in the opening that. I was never bored, even after watching it for the fourth time, and that is still very true. This movie still does a pretty good job at keeping things very interesting, or at least very engaging, uh, for that matter, to keep you in, to keep you in your seat and keep you watching and things like that. I never felt bored, even after watching it for the fourth time. And I would, to be honest, I might even, I would be totally fine with going back and watching it for a fifth time because it still does a very good job at keeping, even though there's a lot of stuff to get through, it does a good job at keeping its character, those characters very interesting and those situations still very, also very interesting. Uh, just the problem is, the, I, this whole story is just so muddled by so much stuff that it, it's just hard to really understand on your on your first walk, on your first run through, maybe even second, that in my own, in my own mind, I'm just like, well, then why in the first place? So not to say that there isn't anything good, because there is. And there, once again, this is still a very pretty movie and at least it has that going for it. That despite, even if you don't like the story at all, you can at least look at it for the visuals. Even if I don't necessarily enjoy these visuals as much as I would Akira, I think that this is still a very eye candy movie. And even with these interesting characters, it keeps you engaged. It doesn't necessarily make you bored for the, at any point in the movie it, but at the same time, it's just, once again, it's just unneededly confusing. Uh, yeah.
0: I was engaged the entire time, say for probably around that 40 minute Mark, like I had said before, where I felt like, where is this movie going? I think they're meandering for a little too long here. And then we finally jump into the whole plot and um, I, I do find this stuff to be interesting, but like Alan and I have been saying, It's unnecessarily thick, and I would also say unnecessarily, it's almost too stressful to the point where it's like everything that could go wrong does go wrong, and then some. Uh, I do think the tension here at the very end where she's running through the town, the comet's flying over everything, nobody wants to listen to her, nothing is working, I think that is great tension. It's really stressful, and I think there's a lot of great shots Like her running through the like an upward shot of her running through the woods and you can see the comet and it's like this race against time and there's a really great shot of her running down these alleys right before she falls down and kind of rolls down the hill in the street. It feels very hopeless and uh, that really got to me like I felt that same feeling of desperation as well and then especially once you see the comet hit. Uh, and everything's destroyed i was a little worried this movie was going to take this just nihilistic route of like yeah you wanted them to be together too bad everybody's dead and that's just how it's going to (laughs) end and uh, i wouldn't really have appreciated this kind of like despite everything they could have done nothing can change the past and it's all fruitless and that kind of would have just felt like a waste of time if that's all they were saying because but they don't say that
1: Right, right. And and you're absolutely right. They kind of lead you p- to believe that the comet hit down. And even d- and despite Taki's best, uh, despite p- Taki trying, he could not save Mitsuha or the town of Itumori in general. Uh, and and so luckily we do find out later, not long after that, that it was okay and that the town ended up being fine. And basically everyone survived because they all went to the high school uh, then, of course, you've also got Mitsuha, how she has a bad relationship with her father, I guess. And then at the very end, she resolves that, I guess. I. Doesn't exactly say. I guess we're led to believe that possibly that's what happened, I, but. I
0: guess. Yeah, the whole father subplot is kind of. It doesn't pay off. It's not very satisfying for me. If they're going to. In the beginning, we see her dad is publicly humiliates her. And then her grandma is disappointed. Their dad left the Shinto priesthood to be a politician. It's very disgraceful. Right. And I guess I didn't realize he didn't live there. And then I do like we get Mitsuo's backstory where her mom died and her dad basically like abandoned his family. But then somehow the dad and grandma and everybody knew somehow like they sus- they were suspicious that Mitsuo actually wasn't. Like she had traded bodies with somebody because apparently that's happened before. But that really doesn't play into the story at all uh, there's really no consequences to that and then i guess she comes up to her dad and convinces him to evacuate the town
1: okay well i do want to talk about miss okudera okay. just real quick because i did mention that yes, i was going to talk yes, about yes. her earlier uh i'm gonna be honest i don't really like her character very much um I think the reason why is because she comes off as this very pushy character. <laughs> she is always, always in control of every situation that she's in. Aside from the first time we see her when Taki, when Mitsuharu and Taki's body sews up her dress, and that's one. It's again one of those kind of conveniences of this movie. There's really no good reason except to set up the fact that they are going that Taki and misokudera gonna kind of have a thing but only through mitsuha anyways uh she just I guess this maybe be a personal preference but she just feels very pushy to me and to a point where she's not necessarily very attractive in my own eyes personality wise of course uh and then of course she is st- she's showing a bit later to be smoking yeah. and things of that nature so awkward. it's I don't know I guess for a love interest in this movie, she kind of feels a bit out of place. And now, to be fair, my guess is they're going for more of women empowerment because that is kind of a big thing here as well. Uh, of course, too is a big leader in this story at the same time. That I think is what they're going for. But at the same time, I just, I'm just i not the biggest fan of her character.
0: Yeah, it feels a little out of the blue when she calls him up there at the very end. And she's pregnant and she says, I found what did she say, love or happiness.
1: Yeah, like, like I hope
0: you find it too. Goodbye. Well, okay, thanks. That really doesn't make uh, Taki feel any better. Um, And everybody says his suit is what's killing his chances of getting a job. How stupid.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I do agree with you. This ending does go on for too long. It ends like three times. Yes. I think it cuts to black twice.
0: That's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. (laughs) We have a very peter jackson return of the king ending here where it towards the end of return of the king it cut to black for so long that audiences thought the movie had just ended and they started getting up and leaving <laughs> and then like uh for the home video release they trimmed that black down a lot this movie cuts to black so much i'm like that's the end dang it this is so uh. and then it's like oh wait no it's not the end oh, that's right. the end wow no it's it's okay it's not the end and then i'm like They're just yanking me along too much here, almost. like, And that's just, it just becomes aggravating, where I'm like, dang, like, okay, I love how they're able to emotionally resonate, like, these characters and story with me. But like I said, one problem after another, way too stressful, needless, like, red herrings such as Miss Okidera, because I thought, oh my gosh, did they end up together, and that's his wife, and they're pregnant? No. She just randomly called him out of the blue, and she never really served very much purpose. For the story anyway, except to just be
1: another friend, I guess. I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. That movie yeah. ends like so many times.
1: I know. And even on a subsequent watchings, I would even say that this ending just is get, just gets worse because you know what's going to happen, and just getting there to the end is just like, uh, it's not necessarily worth putting the effort to fast forward, I, I guess. But <laughs> it also just takes too long to get there at the same time. Uh, yeah, this ending takes... A long time to get to as well. One other thing I do want to mention, though, is uh, this look of fatherhood. I, I think it's very interesting for this movie. I I don't know if that's what they were really going for because it doesn't exactly fit into this movie, I guess. But so we find out that Mitsuha's father has been kind of exiled from the family, more or less. Uh, he really is stated that he really only cared for the... Uh, the faith that the family has because that's what the wife was into and that's, once she died, he would kind of begin to push away from that Uh, and he becomes a politician and as we come to find out, both Teshi and the grandma don't really care for this politician-y thing and at one one point when Teshi's uh, dad is talking or I guess having some kind of meeting with uh, Mitsuha's dad, he says, oh, it sounds like corruption in there, you know. Um, so that's one thing. And then you've also got, uh, Taki's father, who only shows up for one scene, and that is for a couple lines of dialogue, and really all he says is, you forgot to make breakfast again, get yourself to school, I don't care if you're late, just get yourself to school, and then walks out the door. It kind of is like, so what? I mean, really, parents kind of in general are just kind of absent completely from this movie, um... But it's especially fathers. I, once again, I don't know if this is what they're going for, but this is kind of what is portrayed. It kind of shows us more negative view of being a father, and maybe that's just due to the fact that both of these fathers really aren't that great fathers in the first place. Yeah. But at the same time, there really is no redemption arc, and then it makes me wonder when why they're even here in the first place. Because it's not like it's that's one of the focuses here. It's more or less just on these two people falling in love. So why is or why is this even focusing on fathers in the first place? That's why I kind of wonder: is if it's even meant to be taken this way in the for at all i guess
0: well we also get that shot or uh, that scene i should say kind of towards the beginning where teshi is talking about how his dad is kind of corrupt making these business deals with politicians um and his dad is just like hey you're gonna blow up some stuff with me this weekend and teshi just like sighs or something makes some noise with his breath and his dad just jumps on him right away right and um uh Mitsuha's dad is absolutely awful yeah they're really either dads are just uh, bad or a hindrance there's no really good father figure in this which is pretty interesting i don't know maybe the maybe the creator the director of this maybe his dad was bad or something or maybe he's trying to make a statement in japanese culture that father figures are uh, they're either like too absent or or they're not evolved enough in children's lives because they're like putting careers before head or something. Um, I don't know. It, uh, the movie doesn't really give us enough to, I feel like make any definitive uh, decision on that. Uh, the closest parental figure that we get, that's a positive one that uh, that I can think of is the grandma. Right. Um, but once again, I wish she would have played a bigger role. They allude that allude to it, that she had experienced the same thing as Mitsuo. But she doesn't really give her any advice or any... Uh, there's no real substance to that. That's just kind of a dropped thread. At least that's the way I saw it. And yep. I almost was under the impression... I don't think this is confirmed in the movie. But uh, Miss Okidera, um, she's just pregnant and she's not with a husband. She clearly travels alone as far as we can tell and just hangs out with that guy for a bit for I don't understand what reason at all. But to me, it's almost like, oh, she got pregnant without, and the father's not in the picture. That's the way I saw it. I can't confirm that. But yeah, you're right. Um, This movie likes to kind of make some of these statements but not really give us any definitive conclusions with them.
1: Right. And I don't really know the state of Miss Okudera. Uh, whether the father is in the picture or not. Uh, I, I can't remember if they even mentioned uh, if the father was or is or wasn't I don't but think they do y- yeah but I mean I think my criticism still stands and maybe that's just due to the fact that there really is nothing here that they're trying to say. It's just a mere coincidence that they that these father figures are portrayed this way in the movie. I don't know. I can't tell. And I would love to believe that it's just mere coincidence because in reality, if we would think about it, there's real no real substance, no nothing really that ties the father's story to the story of the two characters, aside from maybe that maybe Mitsuha's father who more or less just breaks tradition. Um, But then again, there really isn't no breaking of tradition in this movie. It's, I guess, more or less just kind of affirming tradition uh, in some sense. But yeah, it's just, it's an interesting thing to bring up, I guess. Uh, Whether or not that's what they're going for, I have no idea and can't really tell. Um, But at the same time, it's not like there are good father figures here. And when we do have one I mean when we do have a an arc between uh Mitsuha and her dad we don't really get anything about it there's nothing really explained or anything that's really solved all we know is that he's strict with her and that's about it and somehow she did what to convince him to save the town and I guess we get a small line or it's insinuated that I guess they did make up but it never really shows us so it's I don't know it's 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 a very odd thing that I that I had to bring up because it's not something that is really focused on.
0: I think what I can discern from it is the masculinity shown in this movie is bad. The way that these characters at least use their masculinity to just kind of ruin situations essentially and just kind of domineer everyone. And we notice that when Mitsua is in um, T- uh, Taki's body. Um, he does act more feminine and his friends even like him a little more. The one friend that goes on the train with him with the glasses, he makes this this odd statement. I'm not sure what to make of it, where he says he, he was acting kind of cute or something. I don't know that that doesn't go anywhere either. And, um, also we realize when he does act a bit more feminine or at least kind of soft spoken, a little more kind, um Misoki Dara likes him more so I guess maybe they're trying to say that um you know maybe men could be a little more softer and kind and things would go better for them and those that don't end up ruining their family's lives and even their community's lives uh, that's as much as I could probably get out of it
1: yeah, and I'm kind of with you on that one. It's there, but I guess there, I guess it's kind of the same with the father thing. There, There is no statement about it. It's there, but they don't really take it and go anywhere with it. Yeah, the friend, I think his name is Tasuga, uh, he's it's kind of showing that he's maybe gay, but that's really the only part that it's ever brought up and I guess that's it. Maybe one can make the connection that he went on this journey um, I guess because he likes Taki but that's never brought up so they, I, I guess there are just things in this movie that feel like they, sh- they, the movie is trying to say something about it but in reality there's nothing that it's really trying to say about that both the father thing and this masculinity thing they're there, but they're not they're not I guess worked into the movie very well um if they're even trying to say something for that matter <laughs> I can't tell I don't know <laughs> so it's and yeah, you are right. maybe I the, masculinity is very kind of downplayed or in in this in this movie because taki himself has a higher pitched voice maybe that's just due to the English dub um. Yeah, although the Japanese dub does kind of have a higher voice, but yeah, it's not was, as high as the English one.
0: That was a little strange. Yeah, I couldn't and tell when, if that was the same voice or not.
1: Right, but at the same time, okay, but whatever. It's just a voice, voice right. actor. Um, I'll, I'll I'll take that. I'll take that for what it is. But then you have the friend uh, who likes who is assumed to be gay, but then you also got uh, Mitsuha taking over Taki's body, and not just for the fact that it'd be kind of cool to have these two fall in love by switching bodies. It's a bit more than that because she does act more feminine uh, to a point where it's very noticeable apparently to other people Um, and same with the other way around, but it's more, it's focus is heavier on Taki. It's it's weird that we even have to bring this up and still have no idea what to make of it.
0: The one positive that I can glean from what they ultimately say in the end is this, the only way I could take it as very kind of sexual connotation, which I'm not saying is bad at all, um, of how they're saying, um, I would know that you were in me and I was in you. Clearly that rings of, uh, you know, sexual intercourse, but I think what they're trying to say more so on a deeper level is kind of the unity of their bodies and then kind of the, like the unity of their souls and bring kind of that spiritual element into it. And that, Reminds me that originally both sexes were created with um, kind of this co-equal mindset, not with one sex greater than the other, but because of the fall of man, um, the husband would be more so the leader, you know, and uh, the wife would be more so subservient to her husband. But within the confines of marriage, there should be this, there should be still this leadership, but also still this equality. I got that from this movie. I thought that was kind of uh, well stated there at the end. The other thing that I think this movie does have a really good message on is if you'll remember back, Alan, to uh, Citizen Kane, where the character of Bernstein says, There's not a day that goes by I don't think about that girl I saw on the ferry. He's like, I never knew her name or anything about her, but clearly he's thought about her for such a long time. And here towards the end, I think they pass each other or get glimpses of each other at least twice. And then the third time they're about to walk on by each other without saying anything, despite them clearly purposefully looking for each other. And uh, I think this film has a great important message of taking a chance on love. Don't let love pass you by If two people are meant to be together, then they'll be together. But it takes each person actively looking for the other. And I love that message. And it honestly, I could relate to this like really closely because it makes me think of my soon-to-be wife who if I hadn't asked her out in high school because, you know, I was too afraid it wouldn't work out or something and I did kind of feel that way at first, but I went ahead and did it, you know, then I wouldn't have found my soulmate. So I can definitely relate to that.
1: Yeah, and I would even say, just kind of adding on to that, just the way that their relationship develops, just in general. Uh, a lot of times, there isn't much substance that's there. Not all the time, but a lot of the time there isn't much substance there before the two ho- these two hook up and they end up having a, have, end up being together. That's just kind of a normal thing with a lot of I guess just American cinema. Maybe it's a bit different with Japanese cinema, um, but that is a typical thing that you see here in America. Whereas this one really takes its time to develop the two characters and show that they have some kind of connection in a very creative way. Once again, this idea of them switching bodies and falling in love that way by seeing the person's life is something that I find to be very creative. Now, of course, I'm sure maybe other things have done this before, but nothing you've really ever seen on screen, I would say. These, especially not in this in this way, and I think that that's a, I think it does a really good job at getting you to even begin to th- maybe even think about this in your own life. I would say because once again, usually it's something around the lines of there isn't much substance there, and they hook up anyways because there's some kind of connection. Uh, but in this one, there really is no hookup. I guess it's just kind of they get to experience each other's lives, which I do really, really do enjoy.
0: Do you have anything else to say before we give our final thoughts?
1: Oh, okay. One more thing. Uh, did you happen to notice the uh, GameCube or PS1 in Teshi's room no. when they're planning the thing?
0: No, I didn't. I missed it. Darn there it. is
1: one. Um, I noticed this on my... The very last time I watched it, I noticed it. there is a like tub right behind the couch that Mitsuha and Teshi are sitting in. And right when Saya enters, you get this, like, I guess maybe even before she enters, but you get this, like, really high-angle, wide shot of the room that they're in. And, and in that tub, you see there's an orange GameCube. And it's clearly a GameCube. An orange GameCube, a PlayStation 1. You get a Dreamcast controller. And I think I saw a Sega CD kind of buried underneath the PS1. Uh, but they're all there. Uh, and I can't, and I had to pause it and looked and see what else is see what else they had there. And there, was, I think there. Were, oh yeah, and the Super Famicom is they're often the ro- on the right side of the screen as well. Uh, I noticed that it's something very really small that I just haven't noticed. And I guess just one can make the connection. One can even say that there is great detail just in general with this movie. And I would say, yeah. that yeah, there is some great detail with how things are just kind of made in this movie. But this is one of those instances where I just like, oh, that's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, that's those. Those are cool Easter eggs to look for when watching the movie. Right.
1: Right. And once again, you. You probably not even notice it your first few times watching it, I, and maybe that's just due to the fact that the subtitles do cover up most of it. Because I only noticed it when the subtitles changed, and there was a brief moment when it was blank on the bottom of the screen. I saw the GameCube, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" Um, of course, if you're not watching it with subtitles, then it's not really big of a deal. So,
0: yeah, all of all of my subtitles were completely shut off, even. I don't know. Were there subtitles when it would show their Japanese um, script? And it would it translate that to English sometimes?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mine didn't. so I missed all really? of
1: that. Really? Yeah. Huh. Interesting.
0: I don't feel like I missed anything, but I was like, ah, I, mean, I have no idea what they're saying. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, okay. I guess the only thing you're really missing, Mitsuha did write her name on his arm at one point. And he and Taki wrote in her notebook, Who Are You?, uh, this is something that you wouldn't have ever picked up on. Um, do, other than that, nothing too much that I guess you would have missed. Uh, that I guess is I would deem important more or less. So okay, yeah. Um, now, did you watch it in Japanese or in English?
0: I just watched it in English.
1: Okay, I did get to see the Japanese it with the Japanese dub and. For my own personal opinion, I'm gonna go ahead and say that the English dub is better. Uh, there seems to be a bit more emotion in the voices. That's not to say that either one is bad. I wouldn't even say that the Japanese is that bad, but I feel like I get a bit more emotion out of the English voices. Which to be fair, this is Funimation, so they do you typically have a pretty good du- English dub. This is a very good dub, in my own opinion. Um, so if you wanna watch if you're looking for is walking for one or the other, I would say that you really could go for either one. Japanese or English dub. They both work out just fine.
0: I think I have the Japanese dub with me, but I do want to see what I th- what I think. So I'm not saying I'm going to just rewatch the whole entire movie just to hear the Japanese dub, but I did want to hear some of it. Same with Akira and see how those compared.
1: Yeah, I like I said, it's a, a pretty dang good English dub. So if, if you are one that likes to have English dub that i would say it's totally fine to watch it a lot of people are usually pretty big fans of the japanese dub with with english subs it's usually just how it is kind of die hard in this case it they're both pretty much the same there really isn't you're really not missing much from one or the other
0: yeah i guess i guess usually i'm pretty much an originalist i want to always hear it in japanese and i don't mind subtitles at all i'm pretty much used to it by now It works really well for me. But there are some English dubs that are really great and are preferable. Um, Like I was watching Erased, preferred that in Japanese. The English was weird. Um, Mm -hmm. But then with Cowboy Bebop, it's like universally held that the English is better than the Japanese. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Most of the time, the Japanese dub is typically better. There are only a few exceptions where that isn't true. Bebop is one of those... Uh, where the English dub is rather superior. I tried watching it in the Japanese dub, and it's and maybe that's just the, due to the fact that I'm just used to hearing it in English. It's weird because the voices are slightly different as well. That's so funny. Uh, so that's so funny yeah.
0: because I watched the entire series only in Japanese originally.
1: Right. So I do kind of want to go through sometime and just watch it all in Japanese, you uh, so I can give a, a an actual uh, criticism or not of it. Or actually give a re- authentic ideas of what I think of it. So. so,
0: Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for your name?
1: It's kind of funny because I, when I first watched your name, it was... I, I really did enjoy it. Um, and maybe that was just due to the fact that I thought I understood things, when in reality, I guess I didn't. Because watching it a second and third time, I begin to pick up on a lot of criticisms. And it's hard for me to give it an 8 now. Uh, no, I'll start with the good stuff first. It does look very pretty and it is still very gorgeous to look at. And once again, one of the things that I'm, one of the reasons why I'm so able to come back and watch it again is because it does look very, very good. Although I would much prefer Akira style, this is nothing that I would say can detract from it to a terrible amount. The art style, although very modern, is still very good, even though I would much consider the Akira style kind of older-ish, older-ish um, to be much more personal, I guess you could say. And the voice acting pretty much is fine for the most part, especially either from English or as much as I can tell from Japanese. It's all relatively good all the way around. My problem comes with the story. It just feels like it's just so over the top that it begin and so over the top and so complex and so confusing especially there towards the end that my and especially after subsequent rewatches the impact is almost completely lost because there is just so much to get through and that's not to say that there isn't something there there is still substance here but I feel like the substance went more towards the aesthetic of the movie than it did trying to tell I guess a story that's not to say the story isn't there because it is but it it feels like if they had they tightened the story up, it made it even a bit more personal, made it a bit more simpler followed the rule of less is more, this could have been a much heavier movie with a much greater impact but from my own personal perspective, there are just a lot of things that go into it that make it feel like it's a bit, there's a lot of convenience here, at the same time there are a lot of plot points that don't make a lot of sense, there is a at the same time there as well I don't feel like I'm learning a terrible amount from this movie. That's not to say it's a good experience because in some sense it is, and it would be really cool to see this in the theater, although I don't know how uh, possible that would be. It still just kind of leaves me empty. And I think that's one of the things that held me back from giving it a higher score when I first watched it is at the end of the day, I just kind of felt empty and I still feel that way now. There are a lot of people going to love this movie, and if you love it, that's totally fine. But my biggest problem with it is that it, I feel like it, ha- it it focuses more on the spectacle than it does focusing more on the relationship. At the end of the day, yes, I would still watch this again, but it's not one that I think, uh, that I think at least, is more or less deserving of the of the praise that it's currently... Of the praise that it's gotten over the... I guess the couple of years it's been out. So, anyways... Uh, 6 out of 10. It's a very, very mild recommend from me. Your
0: Name is a powerful drama about love, loss, and doing everything to find your soulmate. This film has left quite the emotional impact on me. From the innocent times of the two getting to know each other... To the heartbreaking times when Mitsuha is dead and Taki has seemingly lost his love forever... And then they both forget the other... This film sent me through the emotional ringer, keeping me on edge whether or not it would have a happy ending. Thankfully, it does have a happy ending with an important message about soulmates. Certain plot elements feel needlessly belabored or unnecessarily stressful, which is frustrating. The animation is beautiful to look at along with the voice acting. The characters and the circumstances feel real. I'm giving Your Name 8 stars out of 10. Because this is a deep anime with some serious emotional resonance for me. But I am going to give it a mild recommend. Because this movie is definitely not for everyone. Also, if you don't like sad movies, myself included, you probably won't have a good time watching this movie. Despite its happy ending. Despite me giving it 8 stars out of 10, I nearly gave it 7. But I felt because I I, I am going to give praise for the writing and the story that they crafted, despite the flaws that we gave it. um, I don't think I could watch this one again. I just think it's a little too, I just can't come back and enjoy this story uh, the way that I did initially. And I, I was just having a real stressful time there towards the end. I was having some where the red fern grows flashbacks of just sadness around every corner. And I'm like, dang, this is just. It's its a. Especially towards that third act, it just gets almost a little too stressful for me to return to and just have a good time with the story again.
1: And here's a thing a bit interesting that I was going to mention in the background, but decided to wait until now. Probably because it, I guess it kind of dips into spoilers. And I also didn't want it to ruin uh, bef- uh, our thoughts before we go into the movie. So, okay. The director, Shinkai, has come out and said that he is not necessarily the most happy with how this project turned out. Which is kind of interesting to me, because you usually don't ever hear something like that. The director is not happy about the project that he came out with. Especially not from Japan, where, I mean, you would assume that the director has more control over his project than you would here in the States with Hollywood. I have no idea if that's true or not. That's just what you would, I I guess, normally would think. So, and here's, I think, part of the reason why is a lot of people are beginning to compare Shinkai with Hayao Miyazaki and beginning to compare his movie of Your Name with Hayao Miyazaki's filmography. And now to Shinkai, he did say that he does feel that he should have taken more time on this movie. And he says that two years to make it was not enough and there needed to be more things that need to be ironed out. It's not necessarily the story he, I guess, wanted to tell. It's, it doesn't have the polish that he wanted, I suppose. But I think the reason why he says all this and which at one point he even said that I'd rather you not go see it because he doesn't want, uh, he thinks it's just unhealthy for, for, people, for people to be, Giving it such high praise, and the reason why I th- he says this, I think, is because his his movie and maybe he himself is being compared to something that it was never supposed to be, because your name is no Hayao Miyazaki film. It's I think it's very evident that it's not, but at the same time, that's what people are comparing it to because it's main because it's been so successful in the box office and has resonated so hard with japanese viewers and maybe even those worldwide i know in china it's like the second biggest opening of all time oh no, i think it's yeah second or first or second biggest opening of all no in china is the number one japanese film of all time and even in japan itself it's the number one film just of all time passing high miyazaki people are beginning to associate him with the next miyazaki and his film of your name being something that propels him to be more like miyazaki when in reality that was never supposed to be the case at all
0: that's really fascinating i didn't know the director felt that way about it um yeah i guess i was kind of thinking that as well with a movie that received this much acclaim and also i would say has you know for the most part a well-written story it's very creative and um I, i do like the creativity of it and i'm like yeah he's a director to watch now that miyazaki has for the most part kind of retired and left his legacy on japan Regardless, whatever this director says, he is a director to watch to see what he will do with his upcoming projects. I'm hoping he kind of does something a little different, though, because I looked at I haven't seen any of his other films, but I looked at his previous works and they all seem to have a bit of a similar vibe to them as your name does. At least I can't say that for certain, but just judging by the plot descriptions and the titles, I'm like, okay, so you're kind of you kind of uh, like this. Plot of desperate people longing for someone and something that they can't have. Maybe they'll get it, maybe they won't, I don't know. I would be interested to watch his other movies though, so I I would like to do that eventually and see what else he has to do. But I do know that J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot, his production company, bought the rights for a live adaptation here in America of Your Name. This was announced probably about a year ago now. And so I'm sure they're at least probably starting production on it. If not now, then soon. So uh, we very well may be coming back to review a live action (laughs) Your Name, which uh, I don't know, but maybe this could be a good thing. Maybe they'll bring Motokushin and Kai on to, and he can do what he kind of wanted with it, you know, kind of help out a bit. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I... Now with Akira I can totally understand why they really even shouldn't make an American adaptation of that. Now this one I I guess I can see where they could make it a bit more American. It would be interesting, it would be interesting to see what they do. I don't know how excited I am for it though.
0: I'm not excited. <laughs> yeah,
1: just due to the fact of what we've seen before with American adaptations of anime, they don't tend to work out very well. Um, at all in any instance so maybe this would be the one but i doubt it because it's jj abrams that's coming on and he's done a lot of like star wars and star trek and it doesn't feel like it's a project for him but then again he may not be the one who's directing it it could be somebody else who just has the rights for it for bad robot because he owns that company it'd be interesting to see but i i don't know if it should be done um it seems like America likes to buy stuff that is popular in, in other places in the world and make it Americanized. We'll see where it goes. If it goes anywhere, who knows if it'll go anywhere. Hopefully, if they do, Shinkai does come on and has some kind of input on it. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see where the production goes with this. I'm not sure how excited I am for it, though.
0: Um, well, I guess the reason that I say I'm not excited is because I, I personally always feel that remakes are pretty much a waste of time. They're fairly needless because the story has already been told. The only time I can be okay with a remake usually is if it's more so a reimagining. Where it's a very different film and they're kind of wanting to take some of that story and do their own thing with it. That's completely fine. But if it's just like, hey, we're just going to make it live action. And it's like, well, really, then what's the point? Uh, Just to waste our time. And I don't know. The movie's already there. We don't need a remake but maybe i will eat my words and we'll come back and review it and it'll be awesome and all of our wants and problems will be completely fixed and it'll be better than this one i don't know but once again it's probably just because this movie is so critically acclaimed and it's imdb number 79 and they're like oh my gosh have to make a have to have to make a live action one I have to make a remake so we'll see we'll keep you updated if if we revive this and come back for that movie i don't know But once again, listeners, thank you for joining us on our mini anime retrospective where we looked at a anime classic Akira from 1988 and then more of a recently critically acclaimed anime film as well. Uh, We did a pretty good amount of anime this year, including Ghost in the Shell earlier this year, so I was glad we also got to do live action and anime and kind of give you a variety of different genres and different film medium styles we got to review so next week we will be coming back with Humphrey Bogart a classic I is it Treasure of the Sierra Madre I sure hope so yes it yes oh uh, that I'm I'm gonna save my thoughts but <laughs> one of my home favorite Humphrey Bogart movies I'm just saying that now so uh we'll see I'm really excited Alan have you seen it before
1: I have not. This would be my first time seeing it. Oh, I man. guess, uh, yeah, I think I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast. The only one that I have seen of this is Casablanca mm. before we began doing this review or this retrospective. So, yeah, first time seeing Treasure of the Sierra Madre.
0: Cool. I'm really excited. It's your first time seeing it because it is great. I am so excited to review that movie and also talk about its impact on films today because I can think of a number of films that have kind of taken from some of his things it also has a really famous line as does every Humphrey Bogart movie except he doesn't say it it's somebody else and it's kind of a funny one but you'll have to wait till next week to find out what that line is and what our thoughts are on that Humphrey Bogart movie so make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss the episode and you can go back in the archives And listen to all of our other episodes as well. Make sure to share this with your friends. We love talking about movies. We love talking about them with you. If you look in the description below, you can find all of our social media links right there. It's really easy to subscribe, so you can always stay up to date. Also, if you want more episodes, you want some bonus episodes, our thoughts on the latest movie news latest movie trailers, you want some film commentaries that you can listen to us talk about the movie while you watch it. You could even do a Q&A with us as well. For the price of a Starbucks cup of coffee, head on over to our Patreon page where just a small donation helps keep the lights on. We don't put that money into our pocket. We put that into securing bandwidth and hosting and improving the site and the podcast. So it's the best experience and most enjoyable experience for you. So make sure to uh, go over there and give us just a small donation and you'll get some great exclusive content that you get to keep as well for that. Once again, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on Your Name. We will be coming back next week with Humphrey Bogart. And we also have a Christmas special coming up very soon. That'll be around this Christmas. Miracle on 34th Street. Very excited to talk about that one as well. We will catch you next time, listeners. That's really not that clear. And uh, yeah, that's not emotionally satisfying for me.
1: Right, right. And I mean, at the same time too. Oh crap, what was I going to say? I forgot what I was going to say. Well, anyways, I guess we can move on. I forget. If I remember sure. it, I'll come back to it.
0: Well, the movie surprises me because they jump ahead five years later, and I really wasn't expecting that. And I feel like we get... Um, this is probably, almost it feels like about the last 15 minutes of the movie, including credits. To me, it feels really long, this whole last five years here. I was expecting them to wrap it up a bit yeah. more, but a lot of, I'm always feeling... This feeling consumes me ever since the comet hit that i'm missing someone that i'm missing something and this gets a little cliche with this whole like i'm missing my long lost love and they even say like unrequited love and um i i get it okay it takes forever for them to figure it out but um the one thing that i was going to say is oh, i completely forgot to <laughs> shoot no I had it um why is it let me see I don't know anyways <laughs> we both forgot this is killing me <laughs> oh this is funny um